tonight, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me, if you will, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, we're going to look together there in the Word of God. Now- your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, very recently we just uh, came through the holidays, Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas, and honestly, my personal favorite, New Year's. I got to be honest, man, I am a New Year's kind of guy. And I'll tell you why, because I love making New Year's resolutions. I love the fact you can start the year all over again. That you can look at one year and say, man, that year really stank. But thank God I can start a brand new year. And you go into all these kinds of resolutions that everybody makes. And of course, everybody knows that, you know, the top two resolutions are, you know what, I want to get out of debt and I want to start dieting. And anybody here, even if you're not a big exercise buff, you know what it's like when you first start going to the gym. You go, and on your first day, you're all excited, man. You just bought a brand new pair of shorts. You bought a brand new pair of jeans. You got your your song list on your iPod, and you go in there, and you're all excited, and you get on the elliptical, and you start going, man. By the time it's all done, you're like, all right, man, it's great. The second day, you're you're a little tired, but you push through, and you're like, man, you know, okay, I'm going to keep on doing this. By the third day, you're so sore, you're wondering, chale, vato, man, give me back my money. I quit. How many of you have ever been there? But you know that if you were to continue past those three days, the exercises that you're doing may make you sore during that first week. But did you know that you can come to a place where those exercises that are making you sweat, causing your muscles to grow, you're starting to lose weight, that those same exercises, your body can get used to those exercises. And they tell us that after about six to eight weeks, what starts to happen is something called plateauing. That you come to a place where those exercises that in the beginning used to stretch you out, make you hurt, make your muscles grow. Now it's like, man, I can do three miles with no problem now. Man, now I can bench press 100 pounds, no problem. I can start doing these things. And they tell us that this is true called plateauing. I read an article that said to break out of a plateau, one has to shock the body by doing something it's not accustomed to doing. If you're somebody who runs typically three miles a day, the way to break that plateau is to either increase the speed of your running or the distance, but increase the heart rate. That's the point. It went on to say that try an exercise you've never done before that shocks your muscles into change now if this is true physically i want to say to you tonight folks 
This can also be true spiritually. That when you and I first come into church, we first come into church, we're not used to all this singing. You know, we, we freak out people clapping their hands. How many of you that freaked you out when you first came? How many here freaked you out that somebody walked up to you, shook your hand and smiled? It's like, what do you want? How many here freaked you out when the first time you heard somebody speak in tongues? You're like, oh my gosh, what are they doing here? But then you start coming to church and you get saved. You buy a Bible. Then you buy a dress. Then you buy a tie. Then you buy suits. And the next thing you know, hey man, I'm into this now, man. I'm, I'm in the evangelism, discipleship, conferences. But over time, you know that this starts to become normal. And spiritually, you've plateaued. It's like you're not, you're not backslidden, but you don't feel challenged anymore. You don't feel like you're stirred up anymore. It's like, yeah, you're faithful, but you're no longer coming to a place where you're stretching your faith, where you're striving for personal holiness. It's church as usual. And what happened is you spiritually plateaued. Now, this is why I love revivals. Because revival is a time to wake up. It's a time to renew. It's a time to shock the spiritual muscles. And I want to tell you something, folks, that to shock the spiritual muscles and break the plateau doesn't mean you have to do everything at once. But just little by little, you can break the plateau in your spirit. That's what I want to preach on tonight because there are people here, you love God, you're not backslidden, man. You're, you're a very good brother. You're a very good sister. But the truth is, man, you know you've hit a ceiling. And there's something in you that says, God, I know I want more. God, I know I need more. I just don't know what to do. Because I'm doing everything I know how to do. Well, let's look tonight at breaking your spiritual plateau. I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a very familiar portion of scripture and we're going to read verse 24 through 27 folks the bible says these words do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize run in such a way that you may obtain it and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things now they do it to obtain a perishable crown but we for an imperishable crown Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. I fight thus, not as one who beats the air. Verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Folks, let's pray and ask for God to help us here tonight. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for these precious souls that have come tonight. Lord, I pray that this would be a week of breaking through, a week, Father God, of fresh ground. Lord, a week of renewed vision. I pray that tonight every stronghold of the enemy would be broken, that those who are not saved would come to salvation. And Lord, tonight, help me to minister to these precious hearts. Let them leave this place refreshed. I ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, and amen. I want to preach to you for a few minutes, folks, on breaking your spiritual plateau. And I want to consider with you, first of all, adapting. Because God created the human body in such an awesome way that we, beloved, are able to adapt 
to most environments and situations. You know, back in 2006, I'm originally from McAllen, Texas. It's about another three and a half hours south of here. This is where my wife were born and raised. In 2006, we answered the call to go to Chicago, Illinois. We have never been out of Texas. We've never really been up north. And I remember we left on December the 4th. On December the 4th in McAllen, Texas, it is 80 degrees. We left. I took my wife. I took our animals in the ark. And I remember we went up into Chicago. And folks, when I left McAllen, it was 80 degrees. When I got into Chicago, Illinois, it was 38 degrees. And I mean, we went into a winter that we had never seen before. We're talking about valley people. And I mean, we saw snow. We saw, we saw negative temperatures. And I remember during that first year, I mean, every morning, man, I get up, I put my long johns on, man. I put on several layers of socks, and I put on several layers of, of, of shirts and sweaters and gloves and hats, and then I'd go outside. I wasn't used to this. I, I was loving it, but I wasn't used to it. The second year came around, and because you got to understand, Chicago winters last a very long time. They have actual seasons up in the north, four of them. Now, I know we got our seasons here in Texas, too. We got hot, really hot, broiling hot, and even the devil won't come outside. But over there, they have spring, summer, and fall and winter. Winters last, man, about a good nine months. By the second year, that first year, man, I'm all bundled up. But by that second year, man, I'm wearing a windbreaker, and it's only 30 degrees outside. My blood had thickened. I had adapted to my environment. And I remember, you know, uh, in 2000, late 2009, we came back to assistant San Antonio. And I'm here in San Antonio now. And, I mean, it's 50 degrees outside, and I'm sweating. I'm like, man, it's hot out here. Because my body now had to change and adapt. Because, folks, adapting can be a good thing. And listen to me. Part of making it in life is learning how to adapt. Because how many of you figured out that life has its ups and downs? Paul put it like this. He says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everything and in all things I've learned to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Then, folks, listen to me. Life is not always going to go the way you thought. Life has its good. You're going to have good times in life. Hallelujah. But you're going to have some bad times in life too. And just because you're a Christian, it doesn't absolve you from bad times. Oh, why am I going through these things? To help you understand, you can still live for God even in the bad times. Now listen, it's not you who's stirring the strength up to live for God, but it is Christ living in you. And one of the things you've got to learn about life is you've got to roll with the punches. Now I am from the greatest decade there ever was. I am from the 80s. Back in the 80s, man, I used to listen to a group called Van Halen. Van Halen used to sing a, call, a song called Jump. And that song started by saying, I get up and nothing gets me down. You got it tough. I've seen the toughest all around. And I know, baby, just how you feel. You got to roll with the punches to get to what's real. 
Who knew Van Halen was saved? <laughs> but that's a powerful truth. You got to roll with the punches, man. Because listen to me, adapting can be good. But listen to me, adapting can also be dangerous. You can get used to the way things are. And that's not how God intended for it to be. There are some people here right now that meant earlier in your life, if you would have seen where you are, I know you're saying, I will never accept that. I don't ever want it like that. And yet here you are. You've started to accept the way things are, and you said to yourself, well, I guess that's about as good as it's going to get. You can adapt, and it can be a dangerous thing because it can lead to apathy. You know what apathy is? It's a loss of passion. It can lead to complacency, a place where you're now comfortable. And worst of all, it can lead to mediocrity. It's not good, but it's not bad. The Bible's word for this is lukewarm. And this is what Paul is trying to address. Because he says here in our text, do you not know that all those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Isn't that true? After all these years, we're in 2018. This scripture was written almost 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. Anybody who enters the race, the Olympics are coming up here pretty soon, the Winter Olympics. Everybody's going to compete, but not everybody's going to win. Paul says everybody runs, but only one wins the prize. That's true. But then he adds this. You run. In such a way that you can obtain it. Don't just be happy participating. Want to win. Run like you want to win. One translation says, do you not see that running in a comp uh, do you not see that in a running competition all take part, but only one gets the reward? So let your minds be fixed on the reward. I like that. Because here's Paul saying, you know, just be happy to be a part. You should just be happy that, you know, hey, I was involved. No, he says, you know what? You ought to put your mind on winning. You ought to want the prize. You ought to want the reward. This is not some passive, complacent Christianity, but he's a Christian that wants to win. My pastor has said it many times that the Christian race is not a sprint. It's a marathon. You know, folks, it would be great if we prayed at the altar, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, come in, you know, forgive me of all my sins, and then boom, we went into heaven. There are days I wish it really did happen like that. But how many of you know we prayed at the altar, gave Jesus Christ our lives, and then we went back out into life? And listen to me, folks, I know the Bible says life is short and man's life is like a vapor. But on the flip side, I'm going to tell you something about life. It can be very long. It can be very long. And the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And listen. It is true that even today we have marathons. Even here in San Antonio you have the rock and roll marathon. I, I personally never been in a marathon. I don't ever want to be in a marathon. I got nothing to prove. I like the old joke. How do you know somebody's been in a marathon? They'll tell you. 
Because anybody who's ever been in a marathon has to tell somebody, I did the 13.1. If not, they wear the shirt. You know, in these marathons, they always give everybody shirts. And there are those people that get in a marathon just to wear the shirt. I participated. Yeah, that's right, Alamo 13.1, 2011. I was there. But how many of you know there's some people that enter the marathon, they want to win. They want to win. And this is the picture. Listen, folks, I understand. And we hear those stories of people that, man, well, at least they crossed the finish line. You know, you, you often see those stories, you know, people on the video, they're dying and they're, they're going across the finish line or everybody's gone home. It's just their mom there going, yeah, mijo. But at least they crossed the finish line. And folks, you know what, man? When I get to heaven, I want to just get there. Amen. I want to hear my Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. How about you tonight? But I'm afraid that this has been taken as an excuse for some Christians. And this is their attitude now. I just want to get to heaven. Now, you know, man, I, I'm not interested in destiny and calling. I just, look, I just want to make Jesus my Lord. And I just want to go to church. Yeah, you just want to wear the shirt. But the, listen, Paul says, you ought to want to win. And again, listen, that's not evil. That doesn't make you backslidden. What I'm trying to do now is stir you to understand there's something more for you. God has something more. So let me talk to you about the key to breaking a spiritual plateau. There is a word here in this text that Paul says you need in order to win the prize. And that is the word temperance. I didn't say temper. Somebody said, I got that one, Pastor. I got no problem with the temper. Praise the Lord. No, no, listen. He says, you need to be temperate. Look at verse 25. And everyone who competes for what? The prize. Everyone who competes for the prize or everybody who wants to win is temperate in all Things. Now, the word temperate is an interesting word. It's not one that we usually use every single day, but the word temperate means self-restraint, self-discipline, and self-control. But it also means this, folks, moderate or given over to ever-increasing moderation. It is true that temperance involves self-restraint. Listen, there are some things that you personally are going to have to call yourself on the carpet on and say, stop that. Stop it. Not going to think like that. Not going to talk like that. Not going to give myself. There are some things that you personally have to call yourself on the carpet on. But listen to me. It is also true that there are some things you're going to have to personally challenge yourself. How many here like to be pushed? You know, like, like somebody, come on, brother, come on, somebody. You can do it. You know, people like, like when they go to the gyms, they, they like having a partner with them. And that person's there, and as they're lifting, come on, bro, come on, you can do it. Come on, you got it. And it gives them strength. But, you know, there are some other people that, you know, they don't have anybody, and they've got to be pushing themselves. And, you know, it's wonderful to be part of a fellowship. It's wonderful to be part of a church. 
It's wonderful to have brothers and sisters. How many like those street preaching meetings where everybody's going and encouraging you? Come on, brother, tear it up. And all you're saying is amen, 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 amen. Tear it up, brother, preach it. Amen. Amen. But they're encouraging you. But it's another thing, man, when you're going through the trial. You're going through a stretching of your faith and there's nobody there to tell you anything. You have to be able to tell yourself a little bit more. Come on, a little bit more. Come on, a little bit further. This is temperance. It is challenging yourself to go further than what you thought you were capable of. Now, fitness experts tell us that to break a spiritual plateau, I'm sorry, a physical plateau, you have to quote-unquote shock or overload your muscles. And that's, that's a little bit misleading, folks, because the truth is you don't have to overload. You know, this is why a lot of people quit exercising after three days. Because they want to do everything on the first day. Lift weights, elliptical, aerobics, Pilates, uh, yoga. Eat yogurt, eat granola. And it's like, by the third day, you're like, man, forget this. Man, I'm going to Whataburger. I don't... <laughs> you can't do that to yourself. Because as high as you go up, you're going to come down just as fast. But it's true that if you do this in moderation and add a little by little, you get used to it. And you're adding on a little bit more. And they say, in, in, as physical trainers, that you have, to, you have to just bring a little bit more than what you're normally used to. Listen to one article that I read. Many people are skeptical about changing their routine. It's normal to be hesitant of change, especially when things have gone so well in the past. Changing the routine doesn't mean starting from scratch. All you have to do is take out one exercise for a change in the order in which you perform the exercises. These two changes, though small, will shock the body and promote greater muscle growth. Let me put it to you like this. He says, if you're used to doing 50 sit-ups and then you go into elliptical, change it up. Shock your muscles because they're used to this. Maybe add another 10 push-ups. Maybe add another 10 minutes to your elliptical. And what you're doing is you're stretching the muscles to go even further. He doesn't say go a whole other hour. All right, come on, brother. Do another 100 push-ups. No, just little increments, little by little. The same is true, folks, of our spiritual life. Do you know that there are some people who sit in church and listen, I know we sit there, we smile. Yes, amen. Preach it, brother. But in our mind, sometimes we're, you know what we're thinking? I can't do this. Yeah, brother so-and-so can do it. Pastor, you can do it. Preacher, you can do it. I don't think I can do this. You ever had the thought, I can't be one of those Christians, man? Because you look at everything that they're doing, you're like, that seems like too much. Well, listen, friend, little by little, little by little. Listen, you might be here. You don't even have a Bible. 
You don't even know where to start in the Bible. You don't know how to spell Bible. <laughs> but just start somewhere. Go buy one. Figure out a book to read. Ask your pastor which book, what book is a good book to read. I remember the first time I went to morning prayer. It's spring break. Prayers at 7 o'clock in the morning. Spring break? I have to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and I don't even have to go to school? I don't do that. But I remember the first time I did it. And then the second time. And then the third time. And next thing I know, little by little, started becoming a norm. And listen to me, folks. There are things in your spiritual life that right now you could add a little bit more to and it would really help your spirit. Maybe tonight, you read the Bible. How about a little bit more? One more chapter. You're used to reading three. How about four? Maybe you don't go to morning prayer. Why don't you go to morning prayer? Maybe you do go to morning prayer. How about another 10 minutes? How about really pressing into an area you've never reached into before? Maybe praying for missionaries. Maybe praying for finances. Maybe praying for that person that you want to see get saved. But just a little bit more and a little bit more. Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 10. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And brotherly kindness, to love. See, a lot of people say, well, I already got saved. Yeah, well, that's wonderful, but that's just the first step. There are things, he says, add to your faith. And listen, he doesn't say, do all this right now. You got to do it right now. He says, just add. And then he says, if these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're here and you recently gave your life to Jesus and you haven't become Billy Graham yet, or Mother Teresa. Don't feel bad. Folks, I've been saved 29 years. This, this coming February is going to be 29 years since I gave my life to Jesus. I was a 19-year-old kid, and now you add it up. And I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I'm 48. And you know what I realized at 48? I still got a whole lot of saving. That I need. But you know something? Little by little, he's helping me. And I have to personally challenge myself. My question to you tonight is where could you be spiritually if you would just say one more? One more. I don't know where I was. I think I was in a hotel lobby waiting for a ride and I saw a Gatorade commercial. You know, in this Gatorade commercial, they're there to inspire you. That's what Gatorade commercials are there for. And it shows, it shows somebody who's throwing, who's throwing basketballs into the basket, into the hoop. And he's saying, one more, one more. Then it shows somebody doing push-ups. One more, 
one more. They're showing somebody lifting up weights, and on the ceiling it says, one more, one more. And for like 15, 20 seconds, that's the whole point. One more. Push yourself. One more. And the whole point is, listen, don't be satisfied where you're at. And I believe that the Holy Ghost is trying to say something to you in this congregation tonight. One more. Not 30 more. Not 50. Just one more. I've been praying about this revival. You recently went through a transition. You had a pastor for many years. Now you've got a new pastor. I want to encourage you tonight. You know what God's saying to this church? One more. I want to break you out of this plateau you've hit. And I want you to go one more level up. Folks, listen to me. The things that God has for you, you will not reach them with things you did three or four or five years ago. If you're going to hit that level, you have to join in what God's doing now. It's going to shock our spirit. Hey, man, I remember when my pastor left. I remember, man, when I, I've taken over a couple of churches that took over a church from your pastor. There are people there that are going, I had other people, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> but you know, there were some people there saying, no, God's still God. God has something for us. And those that would say, let's go up another level, it's because their attitude was one more. How about you tonight? I want to close very quickly. And I'll talk to you about eyes on the prize. You know, as people, we need goals. We need something to shoot for, folks. Listen to me. When you come to a place where you're no longer shooting for something, you know what happens to you? You take on a whatever attitude. You ever, you ever met anybody, you know, whatever? You know, I, I, I always enjoy saying hello to people. And just so that you know a little bit about me, the two responses I, ugh, they vex me, is when I say, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing. <laughs> the other one is, how's it going? Oh, it's going. It's like, I hear that, and it's like, it's like somebody's scratching the chalkboard. I'm like, God, like you, you, you don't expect anything. It's going. You're doing. I mean, at least say I'm fine. It's going good. I'm not talking about being super spiritual. Have you ever met these super spiritual Christians? How you doing? Well, I'm too blessed to be distressed, brother. <laughs> like, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about expect something. Listen, you ought to have expectation. But that means you're going to have your eye on something. This is what I want to see. This is the goal. This is the prize. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you would obtain it. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. 
Paul also said in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, not that, I've, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Some of us need a vision tonight. Some of us need a God-inspired vision. Some of us need a renewed vision. Because we're not new converts anymore. We've seen some things on this road. But I, God, I need to see a renewed vision again. God, I, I, I want to have that passion again. Some of us need to forget. Mmm, this one's going to hurt. Some of us need to forget about our past accomplishments and realize there's a whole lot more. Hey, folks, I know who I'm preaching to. Because I want to tell you something, man. Down the long road of Christianity, you've got to keep your eye on the prize. And you've got to believe, God, there's more. There's so much more you have for me. I want to get on the other side of this plateau because God... I cannot believe this is where it stops. I cannot believe this is where it ends. I close with this. I was reading about a boxer. You know, I'm from the old school. I like boxing. I don't care for all this other fight stuff that they're doing nowadays. I like boxing. Let's pelea somebody. What my dad used to call my grandfather. Let's peleas. Two men get in there with boxing gloves and they duke it out for 15, 12, 15 rounds. I was reading about a boxer named Mark Weinman. He was known as the Hebrew Hammer. And he was a middleweight boxer who won his first 11 fights in the 1980s, but then he suffered two losses that derailed his career. In 1991, he tried to come back, but lost by a technical knockout. He retired thinking that this time it was for good, but something in Mark Weinman would get stirred up every time he was training a young boxer. Every time he'd take on a young boxer, something would get stirred up within him. And he actually said this. He said that it would bother him that sometimes he found himself more excited and having a greater desire than the kid he was training. That here he's training somebody and he's like, come on, man. And he's getting excited, even more excited than him. And on September 7th, 2012, weighing 162 pounds, Mark Weinman, the Hebrew hammer, at age 50, stepped into the ring against 36-year-old Dominican fighter Elvis Martinez. Showing some of that old magic, Hebrew hammer proceeded to turn back the clock and stop Martinez for a second-round technical knockout. And this was the hammer's 10th career knockout. A lot of people, man, I turned 30. I'm old. Mina, I have a cana. Oh my God, I got white hair. You're you're 30 and you think it's over? Are you serious? You know that in Bible days you were still considered a teenager? Do you know that? Don't write yourself off at 30. This man says at 50, I got one more in me. And he steps into the ring and he takes out a kid that's almost half his age. Why? 
Not because he was stronger, not because he was faster. He just had the vision still in him. You know something, my friend? God's not looking for you to have it all together. God's not looking for you to do this all by yourself. You know what God's just looking for? I just want to know, do you want to? Because if you want to, God says, I want to. You can get in there and you can hit it one more time. One more. I want to stir you folks this week because this week God's going to help you. God is going to do things in your heart that on the other side by Wednesday night, you're going to step back into that ring again saying, God, you're with me. And I see it again. I see the other side of this plateau. The Bible says, stir up the gift of God that is in you. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. I'd like every head bowed.